The following interview was conducted on 17 May 2021. This interview was part of the Conversations on Family Urban Disaster Planning Summit. Our first speaker of the series is James Lee Witt. James Lee was appointed as the FEMA director by President Clinton. James Lee is perhaps best known for the credit he received for turning FEMA from an unsuccessful bureaucratic agency to an internationally acclaimed all-hazards disaster management agency. He currently serves as senior advisor to Fortune 500 companies and government leaders around the world. This interview is enlightening, engaging, and entertaining. We will all probably learn something from it. Hello, I am Daniel Kilburn with Conversations on Family Urban Disaster Planning. Today's guest speaker is James Lee Witt. James Lee Witt is a former White House cabinet member and director of FEMA. James Lee is recognized for turning FEMA into an internationally acclaimed all hazards disaster management agency. He currently serves as a senior advisor to Fortune 500 companies and government leaders around the world. He is recognized for his leadership and expertise in business continuity, as well as crisis and emergency management. So James, I'm really grateful that you're taking the time to, to speak with me and I'm happy that you're here. I wish we could get the video go on, but we're going to work with this anyway with an audio interview. Is that and that's good? We can make it happen. Based on our conversation the other day, I've come to the conclusion that you've been in the disaster management industry, so to speak, for a long time and during your life. And I was wondering what was it that brought you into it? Why did you get into disaster management, and why have you decided to stay in it? Well, I was a county judge for ten years, mm -hmm. and that during that ten-year period. I had three fed, federally declared disasters. Okay. And one of them washed out 33 wooden bridges, Ooh. miles and miles of road, culverts, everything. And so, uh, you know, how back then you'd take a Polaroid camera out, you'd take pictures of all the sites, mark them on your county map, you know, and all that stuff. And FEMA and state come down and I had it all laid out in the conference room for them and, and said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, pointed to different sites and said it had a 24 inch culvert there and I need to put a 48 inch culvert there. So it won't happen again. Well, we can't do that. Well, I'm going to replace what you had. And I said, well, I want to build concrete bridges. And that, no, you'll just have to build lumber bridges back just like they were. I said, well, I'm not going to do that. And they, they offered $2,500 for each wooden bridge. So I went to the state highway department and got them to design me bridges. I gave them the length and the width I wanted. They designed me a concrete bridge and I used the county road department to build the head walls and build the bridges. Okay. So they wanted me to count how many nails it took to build that wood bridge. <laughs> Anyway, and so we did such a really good job on them and made them wider, you know, where two cars could pass on them and everything. And so 
And of course, Bill Clinton, I met him when he was 27, you know, and we were friends and, and he was governor at the same time. And uh, anyway, he was down there and he saw what we did and he said, boy, that's fantastic, you know. And, and anyway, well, I get a, I just got reelected for a sixth term and Betsy Wright, his chief of staff, called me and says, the governor wants to see you. And I said, Betsy, I am busy. No, he wants you down here at two o'clock this afternoon. I said, Betsy, I can come tomorrow, but I'm busy. No, you don't understand. He wants you down here. So I go down there. They take me in his office. He said, I need you to do something for me, James Lee. And I said, what? He said, I want you to be the director of attractive emergency management for Arkansas. I said, Governor, I just got reelected. He said, those folks in Yale County, they'll love for you to come work for me. <laughs> so, so anyway, I said, let's give me some time to think about it. Well, that next week, a tornado hit uh, Lone Oak County. And I get a call from his chief of staff and said, James Lee, the governor wants you to ride to Lone Oak with him where a tornado hit. And so I go down and ride down there with him and we're looking at all the damage and everything and 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 had the press there. And he said, well, you know, Judge Witt's going to be my director of emergency management. I said, holy shit. <laughs> he just announced it. Anyway, so that's, uh, I kind of got started at the local level, then at the state level. I was his director for four and a half years and we had three fatal disasters in th four and a half years. And um, so I knew FEMA quite well, worked with them on the earthquake program and uh, the chemical stockpile program in Pine Bluff, get burning that, getting rid of that and building all that up and had the largest federal exercise ever in the state of Arkansas. 1,500 people was in this exercise on this chemical demail plant. Okay. And, and so anyway, uh, I was in his office this early 1990, late afternoon, catching up, and just the two of us. And he said, you really done a great job. And I said, thank you. I've enjoyed it. I said, well, you think you'll ever run for president? He said, you know, I'd like to one of these days. And I said, I think you will, and I think you'll win. He said, do you? And I said, oh, yeah. early in there, huh? Oh, yeah. And. He said, well, if I was president, what would you like to do? And I said, I'd like to be director of FEMA. He said, you know, we could help a lot of people, couldn't we? And I said, yes, we could. Never mentioned it again. He wouldn't let any of his cabinet leave the state campaign. And uh, when he was when he won and he was, had all these people down, you know, doing the transition and everything, and he calls me and he says, you still want to be director of FEMA? And I said, if you want me to. I was the fourth nomination to go up. So that's how it happened. And the, uh, I guess you had to be vetted by Congress or whoever does that kind of stuff. I had to go through the Senate confirmation hearing. Yeah. Right. But my first, my first, my first company I started, I started a construction company and had ran it for 14 years. And, and, uh, before I was County judge and I built residential and commercial buying land, developing subdivisions, and underground utilities and curb gutters and all that stuff. And so, so, so that's, where you learn, that, that's where you got to learn, uh, develop the building codes and stuff to, uh, to, to mitigate these hazards and these things exactly. that happen in our lives. 
right? Exactly. So if I was if I was buying a house or building a house, where would I go in my community to find out what the codes are to see if they can implement them or if they're done? Usually, um, it depends on the size of the city. If you're in a city of 25 to 50,000, they'll have a building code office. Okay. And, uh, and that's where you get your permit. Okay. So most major metropolitan communities, let's say like Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, uh, Dallas, are those more you, at the county level? Uh, they have both at the county and cities. Okay. So if somebody wants them, they can just go ask for the county codes, tell what they're looking for, and they could be able to find them readily, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Interesting. So you were mentioning, okay, through your tenure, uh, when you got into FEMA, you made a big change in FEMA as far as bringing it more into a hazard management as opposed to law enforcement and terrorism. Now, how was that for you? Did you have a lot of walls in front of you to make that change or was it simply done because you made it happen? Yeah. Uh, you know, I told the president, I said, look, if you really want to make FEMA the type of organization that we need in this country, I said, you let me pick the political appointees in FEMA because I want to get experienced people. I just don't want somebody just because they worked in a campaign. So he let me pick every single one of them, but two. So I had a very, very experienced team uh, that uh, I brought in, particularly in, in response, recovery and mitigation and, and, and floods. And we re Basically, we took uh, the entire organization after I got the political appointees in there. And I had my first senior staff meeting. And Daniel, I looked around that room and it was all white males. No minorities, no women. And so I worked up a sheet, one sheet of paper establishing my goals and priorities that I wanted to accomplish the first year. And I took the political appointees and the SESers, senior executive service people and associate directors on a three-day retreat. And I already had the org chart developed to meet those goals and priorities. And I got five career women that worked with me through this time in establishing the organization and what it should look like to make it more functional. And I left that with them and my goals and priorities. And I said, now look, I'm going to come back in three days. I want you to break up into teams. And I said, this is my list. You can take away or add to anything you want to do. And when I came back, I was, I found, a very united team. And I said, okay, we get back. First of the week, we're going to announce this to everybody. And I said, first, I want to meet with all the SESers and uh, have a full senior staff meeting. And so we did. And I said, okay, here's what I would like for you to do. Some of you have been in the same program for 10 or 15 years. 
What I want to do is I want you to take on a different program to get different thoughts and different ideas and thinking out of the box. Of course, I knew what was fixing to happen. I said, any questions? One of them, the guy raised his hand. He said, how many of my people can I take with me? And I said, one. Because they had a good old boy network set up, you know. Okay. All, all the favorites were getting all the bonuses. And they were not promoting any minorities at all. And so I, I put, I appointed a African-American woman to be head of human resources. And then a deputy African-American woman, a deputy CFO. And so I made a lot of changes. And every Tuesday, I had an open door policy. Any employee at headquarters or in, in any of the 10 regions, that could, in the regions, they could make an appointment by telephone. The ones in headquarters could physically come up and meet with me for 30 minutes. Not. And I continued to do that through my whole tenure. And then I would have this random select 15 people to come up and have a brown bag lunch with me once a week. And so, you know, they didn't know who I was, you know, and we had to had we had to get to know each other. And that was the biggest help I could have ever have had. And then I, did, I put in place a 360 survey. And I was the first one to get it done on myself. And I had probably on the survey sheet itself, I think there was somewhere around 200 different pages attached to surveys of ideas and thoughts. And any employee could, could do their survey on their boss without signing their name to it. So we really got some really serious answers, you know. And if I had 15, 20 minutes, I'd just walk out of the office, go down to somebody's office, just walk in, see how they're doing. You know, and one day I went into the flood mapping office and this young African-American girl uh, just hung up the phone, had a big smile on her face. And I said, well, you look like you're having a great day. And she said, I am. Said, you know who that was? And I said, no. I said, that mayor called me this morning. And she wanted to know if I could get her a flood map of her city. Said, I said, well, what happened? She said, I got that flood map. I FedExed it to her yesterday. And she just called me and said, am I talking to the federal government? <laughs> <laughs> so you you gave permission to people to make change and do something good. Sounds like, yeah, and they enjoyed it. They loved it. I, I'm I'm so happy to hear that. I really am. You were probably very well ahead of your time on a lot of initiatives that you implemented while you were in FEMA. And uh, oh yeah, I'm glad to see a lot of them have spilled over into other agencies, and they're continuing to move forward, even though there are some barriers that people have to deal with they're still working on fixing them is that correct is that what you think oh yeah and you know and every friday i made friday a casual day you could wear your jeans but you couldn't wear shorts or flip-flops and i said if you had meetings you, you had to have a dress shirt on you know and a sports coat not necessarily a tie 
And that got so popular. Even other agencies started doing it. Right. And, you know, and at the end of the first four years, I got a call from Betty's President Clinton's secretary that said, the president wants to see you. And I said, okay, do I need to be prepared for something? She said, no, he just wants to talk to you. So I go over there and he was sitting there behind his desk and he said, pull up a chair, pull up a chair. And he said, you know, you've really done a great job. And I said, well, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And he said, well, there's anything you'd like to take on the next four years. And I said, you know, I wouldn't mind taking on the Department of Interior. I think I could do some good there. He said, well, I don't think Bruce Babbitt's going to leave. I said, well, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he said, will you consider taking over the IRS? And I said, hell no. I <laughs> know. So, <laughs> uh, well, he offered though, right? I mean, hey. Yeah, yeah, he offered. But okay. he, he made me go up to their headquarters in Maryland. He made me go up there and give a talk to all their folks there and about how to make change happen. And I had the best two hours. I, I mean, we just had a great time talking about it. And and they really enjoyed it, too. They gave me a standing ovation. <laughs> you know, you bring up the concept of change. You know, everybody, you know, talks about making change for the better in some way or another. That's like, that's what I'm trying to do as far as disaster management. And that's what you continue to do, did in the public sector and now in the private sector. But what is the dilemma? Because I see it a lot. A lot of people talk about making change, but then it's business as usual. There's something preventing that change from happening. Is there any way that we can get that change to move at, at the lower level? I mean, it's got to start at home. As far as I'm concerned, we have to start this at home and with our own communities and let it spread from there, as opposed to hoping it'll start at the top and drip down. So what yeah. kind of changes can we do to make it rise up to the top of our government so that they'll recognize this is what needs to be done. What can we do to make that happen? I, th I think you had to show them a purpose. What do you want to accomplish? I just had my, I went up to my hunting cabin over the weekend and my youngest grandson came up to visit with me. He just out, out of high school, you know, and doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. Okay. Right. And, and we were riding around on my side by side. And I said, well, Jesse, have you thought about whatever you want to focus on or try to do? I said, because right now, any decision you make will follow you through your life right now. True. And I said, I said, you just need to focus on something that you would enjoy doing. And he said, well, I tell you what I've. I'm, I'm going to do. I see, he said, I'm going to enroll in college and in uh, emergency management. Because I started a course at Arkansas Tech University. Okay. And, uh, and I gave a $40,000 scholarship the first year. And they took it on. And we did our last conference over there a year and a half ago. And they have about 225 students in that course now. And now they're working with Arkansas Nuclear One and Two. And they kind of got a mini reactor there now. Oh, okay. And they're teaching these kids uh, 
about nuclear power. And, um, but, and you know, I told those kids, I said, look, if I can give you a, a letter of reference, reference, I'd be more than happy to do any of you. And so I've had, oh, I could think about four come through and, uh, and one of them got a job at FEMA and, uh, and others went to work in county and city emergency management. So, okay. and I think that's what he's going to do. Well, that's good. Well, no, I've noticed I've done my own research looking at some of the educational opportunities at the universities, you know, around the country. And, and they all seem to be geared toward government or upper level private sector practice in some way, shape or form. And that's the dilemma I see, because when we come down to the level of the county or the city, and I'm looking at the county more often than the city, we don't see a lot of engagement with the population on disaster planning. It doesn't matter what county you're in. I've, you know, California, New York, somewhere in Florida and the Gulf Coast communities, they all have just a checklist. Here's a checklist. You can go to their site, find a checklist. They had checklists back in 1980. So yep. my, what I'm not seeing happening is any concerted effort to actually train people within the community that have nothing to do with government, that are the citizens of the community, on how to prepare for the disasters that are going to come at some point in time. Yep. So that's a big issue. And I understand it's a, probably a political will issue. There is none. And there's no money involved in it because the money is all going to counterterrorism or some sort of law enforcement thing, as opposed to let's prepare the citizens as opposed to working on other stuff. So again, that's that bottom up thing. How do we make that change within the well, county or in the communities? Well, back then we started a program called the CERT program. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. Anyway, and down in Deerfield Beach, Florida, uh, you had neighbors, you had high school kids, and they'd all go to the fire department and be trained. Right. And then they'd get their yellow shirt with cert certified on it, you know. And when something happened, this was an extra response team to support the local government and to support the neighbors. Right. And also part of it was teaching them how to do the basics on retrofitting your home or office for a hurricane. You know, okay. and I don't know what they've ever done to that program. It was a community based program and it worked extremely well. And well, that's it still exists. I, you, CERT, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, CERT. Yeah, they, they still exist. I see them. But like you said, they, they seem to be more engaged with helping the structure of the community or the infrastructure of the community and responding to people as need be but I don't see them putting on symposiums or training seminars for the people, their neighbors on the street. I'm no. not saying they aren't, but I'm just not seeing it happen. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we were blessed down there with Home Depot. They were right. so great. And they did training for half a day on Saturdays, you know, for people how to, and had the items there to fix their homes. And, uh, but, I don't see any of that happening anymore. Uh, I think, you know, through the corporate structure, there could be so many advantages for a Lowe's or Home Depot or 
a hardware store or something to basically say, we've got the product. We can train you how to use them to help make your home safe, you know, and, and to me, that would help a great deal. Um, When you go into counties and cities, give an example. When we did, when Governor Pataki hired us to do the independent review and analysis around Indian Point nuclear power plant, it's four counties. And so they were having a full-scale exercise. And and I was in Westchester County. And I started out at the nuclear plant and then went to Westchester County during the exercise. And they were still using a fax machine from the nuclear plant to the county EOC. Right. And I had a board up there, you know, and said, well, you got a tractor trailer rig turned over on bridge so-and-so. It's got to be moved, you know, and blah, 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 you know. And, well, Merge Commander come out there and he said, all right, there's what we've done. We've got a tow truck out there and that guy, that tanker's off the bridge now. Check your box, you know. And right. it, it got me so frustrated and the way they were doing things. And so we basically helped get the federal rule changed. You couldn't just check the box. You had to, you had to show something real. And we did get that changed, but it was terrible. And because I dealt with that when I was a county judge, because we had the nuclear power plants when I was county judge. And uh, anyway. So basically what you're saying is somehow we have to convince the higher being that there has a return on their investment at some point. And then we have to get the, the people who actually are needing this, whether they know it or not, to become engaged to show the need for the uh, processes or systems. Mm-hmm. We had a contract with Cal State University Systems in California, all 26 campuses. And when I went out there, the first meeting, they had all the chancellors there, 26 of them. And the president of the Cal State system introduced me and said why we were there, that they were hiring us. And each university depending on where the schools were, but we put together a training program for each of the individual schools. And some of it was fire, some of it was earthquake, some of it was terrorism uh, and, and flooding and so forth. And it took us one year to get all the training done. And then we did we exercised each school. But what was so amazing, when we first started, those chancellors did not want to have anything to do with this. They thought it was horrific, a waste of time. Really? And then after one year, they came up with so many great ideas themselves just for their campus. They had, they had IDs made up for themselves and had IDs made up for students that were part of their response team. And I, I mean, it was just like night and day. Really? And, well, that's nice. and we, I mean, we did a lot of training every year and, and we'd exercise them every year. And 
the, those chancellors, man, they did a fantastic job. So it sounds like a cyclic process. It seems like, you know, the pendulum swings from one side to the other. At some point, the pendulum is to, okay, let's do something productive to be proactive. And then at point it swings away and people seem to forget about it. Or where are we at right now? Are we on the far end where people are forgetting about it? Or are we swinging back to people being conscious of the need? I think people are starting to, again, realize that there is a need and something needs to be done. I was glad to see Joe Biden put $10 billion into FEMA for mitigation. Good. Okay. Uh, and and that's a start. Uh, but they're still not they're still not focusing using mitigation as a tool before something happens like they should. They're using mitigation after something happens to mitigate it and build it back better. Clean and, up the mess and build it better, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they could save a lot of lives and a lot of money if they spent more money up front on mitigating. They know they know where the highest risk are. They know what state and what the risk are. And but I think and I think FEMA, each of the ten regions, I mean, when you spread that out, you know, that should be the foundation of everything they do every day. You know, is to help people mitigate the risk. Exactly. And, and that's where we start with the training. Isn't the training on what you need to do starts as the mitigation process? We can think at some point. Exactly. And, so and, I, and, I, and I think, too, I think, I think, too, that, uh, you know, every school, schools are so much different. You know, you've got your smaller schools like, 2,500 kids, you know, and then you got like the two in California we're working on a contract right now. One of those schools, 90,000 kids. Okay. One of them, 40,000 kids. And uh, so, but you, if somehow, some way that FEMA could start in each of the regions and start working with the schools and have someone to go in there and have a training class in that school for, you know, your senior high at least, uh, or from the eighth grade through 12, you, you could you could change a lot of things if they would just do it. So introducing hazard mitigation and preparedness at the, to, to the children so they can bring it home to their parents because the children Absolutely. will be more excited about it and more engaged in protecting themselves and their friends. So hopefully that'll get the mom and dad. So you, you, what age do you think is the lowest we should start that at? Sixth grade. Sixth grade. Okay. Just, okay. Sixth grade. Yeah. Uh, because, idea. you know, kids, kids are interested in it, uh, you know, and, and, and they'll pay attention to it and, and, you know, just teach them the basics and it's all they need. True. And then they can move on from there and find out whatever interests them and they can expand their knowledge, right? Yep. All right. Great. So is there a, when we look at the latest FEMA household survey, I'm sure you know exactly what I mean. Every year the FEMA does a household survey on how many people are prepared, how many people are not. Now, what we do know, those of us that live in hurricane country, Florida, the Eastern Seaboard and the Gulf Coast are propensely higher prepared than the rest of the country. That's because we see these every year. 
still the the national population based on FEMA's numbers from the 2020 hazard survey is uh, 48% of the people that have done anything. And that means basically 52% of the people are going to be in dire need and in want of whatever. So those are the people we need to get to somehow. So is there any way we can engage those people that are prepared so that way they can do the reach out to their neighbors and their friends to try to get them prepared? Well, you know, your chamber of commerce could have a big impact on that. All of your different organizations, the Kiwanis, uh, you know, Salvation Army, just all the different NGOs could have an impact in this. I mean, uh, because a lot of these NGOs, you know, are in every neighborhood. Well, that you know, Red, Cross, Red Cross could ha- have a big impact, you know. And I know uh, one organization that was so fine and worked so well with us was the Baptist Men. Okay. Baptist churches. And they they you know, they were just really good. And uh, and someone you may you may not realize, Mennonites. Uh I was the only theme director ever to ask to come speak to their national conference in Kansas. Okay. And and I really enjoyed it. It was just a small place. I had, of course, I had a suit and tie on, and we stopped at this uh, little coffee shop and donut shop. And I walk in there and to get a cup of coffee and a donut. And all these, I'm in their class now. All these old farts sitting around the table drinking coffee, you know. And I'm in that class now, but uh, they're all sitting in there and drinking coffee. And I walk in, and of course, every head turned and looked at me. And I ordered me some coffee and I got me a donut. And that one guy said, well, you're a director of FEMA, aren't you? I said, yeah. I said, well, what are you doing out here? Well, I'm going to speak to some of your neighbors over here, the Mennonites. Those are good folks, you know. They just wanted to chat. But but that they've got an unbelievable organization. We had a tornado hit uh, Little Rock, hit College Station, and as an African-American community. And Bill Clinton came, and and anyway, and he, they didn't even they didn't even have they didn't have, it didn't even have syrup, had septic tanks, and it destroyed a lot of homes. And and so we started in, you know, for helping the individual assistance and all this kind of stuff. And and Hezekiah Stewart, he was kind of the leader of that community, and. I asked Hezekiah, I said, after the president left, I said, Hezekiah, let me ask you a question. I said, we need to build some new homes. We sure do. I said, well, what would you think if I got the Mennonites to come down and build some new homes? Who are they? And I told him. He said, I don't care who they are, what color they are. If they can build us some new homes, get them down here. And so I called them. And, you know, they came in completely self-sufficient, didn't ask for anything. And they started out and built five new homes. All right. And Hezekiah called me and said, we got five new homes finished. He said, 
why don't you come down? We're going to give the keys out. I said, okay. And we come down. We had church service. And we went to this one house. And the old gentleman was 91 years old. I had him a rocking chair in there and a television set. And he's rocking in that chair, just grinning from ear to ear. His first new home I ever had in my life. So I'm 91 years old, I might as well get married. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I got a new home to bring the wife to, right? Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. So, uh, so yeah. what I'm hearing from you is start the kids young. Start them young to get, start learning about this. Get our public, private organizations like the Home Depot and stuff organized and into this. Use our CERT people and get our local churches involved. So if we get the schools involved, the local churches and our local private industry involved, it should be able to spread out pretty good within the community and become a socially acceptable thing that has rewards and benefits, right? Absolutely. And, you know, okay. the, the, these young kids, you know, particularly in hurricane or even earthquake areas, you know, they could be taught to go in to bolt down bookcases to the walls and right. TV, TVs, to the sand and the, they can do a lot of little stuff that, you know, they can just take pride in and, uh, in helping the senior adults around their community. And it would make that's a big idea difference. too. Yes. I haven't thought of that, but that's a very good idea because I know there's a lot of younger kids that are really gracious to be able to do something like that. And they love it. I know that yeah. my granddaughter, she goes out where she lives in San Francisco and she goes around, helps people out as she can. And uh, so, yeah, we know these kids are there. They want to do it. So let's just give them the tools to work with. I think that's fantastic. So yeah. is there anything that you are passionate about, anything that we haven't discussed or talked about that you would like to pass on to the people that are listening to this interview? Well, you know, uh, the Project Impact we started was so successful. And any, any community could do it themselves. Uh, just... Start having meetings, draw people in and say, we're going to have a public-private partnership, draw businesses in and said, you know, uh, we need to do something, raise some money and start fixing some of these risks. I'll give you an example. There was a little town in West Virginia and uh, there was five ladies. They wanted to be a project impact community. And... They had, uh, they put together all their famous recipes and made a, a cookbook out of it. And they were selling their cookbook. And then they, they raised, they did car washes. They were going to stop a flooding problem in their town. And they did a car, a car washes. They raised $750. I mean, 700, yeah, $750. And they called the governor and told them what they were doing. And the governor granted them a million dollars. Oh. And they, they wanted us to come in and help them. So we created the public-private partnership for them. And they didn't want any money from us. They just wanted us to help them. So we did. And, and they stopped the flooding. And... These ladies were all in their 80s. Really? Okay. And the one of the ladies that was kind of the head of it, 
we decided to give her the Project Impact Award of the Year. And so the VFW rented a limo and drove her to Washington, D.C. to get that award. <laughs> and she stood on that stage when she got that award and she put, took, took her finger and she was shaking at that. There's about 100 people in there shaking her finger and said, if anybody can do it, I can do it and you can do it. <laughs> well, that's right. She pro she's proof positive that it can be done, right? That's oh, yeah. She, she, was a, well, she was a wonderful lady. Okay, so we're about hitting on our time limit here, but that's okay. I've had a wonderful time talking with you. And I'd like to know if I'm going to do some research. This project impact, uh, it's no longer in existence, right? It's sort of something that happened and went by the wayside. It, we've got a website. We ha we were trying to do it in the private sector. We ha haven't right. been haven't had time to focus on it. But um, yeah, we had 250 communities in that uh, program, and um, the last summit we did in Washington of local elected officials, you know, and volunteers, and 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 we had 2,500 people there. And they were so excited. You would thought they were sniffing glue out of a paper sack. They were so excited. They really were. I mean, it was a very exciting program. And we did so much good with that program. I don't know. I, I tell you about Seattle, Washington. Did I tell you about them? Seattle, Washington, they have, I don't know, they have earthquakes up there, but they also have like uh, the, the winter storms and tsunamis. Do they have tsunamis up there? Yeah, but. Seattle, Washington, the mayor wanted to be a project impact community. Oh, okay. And so his, his goal was to retrofit the bridges, schools, library, public buildings, you know, and the high rise residentials for senior citizens and all this. And they were going to celebrate their third year anniversary of project impact. The night before they had a 7.0 earthquake. Okay. And the mayor was on CNN the next morning and they said, Mary, you had very little damage and just a few minor injuries. What do you contribute that to? He said, he said, Project Impact. And the next month is when George Bush canceled the program. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, let's was, see if we can't resurrect it. You've already proven that it works. You've already proven that people are engaged with it and want to make it happen. Let's see if we can't find a way to make that come back to life. What do you think? You think that's a possibility? I, think, I hope so. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma was a big project impact community and they're still doing it. Okay. They call it, uh, they, they call it partners or something like that, but they're still doing it. And uh, they bought out 1100 homes on this river and turned it into open green space. Right. But put a bike trail, walking trail along the river and they put retention ponds in and in the summer when it was dry, the bottom of the retention ponds were soccer fields. Okay, why not? Yeah, I get it. You know, so so they utilized it and made it more beautiful, you know, so it was a good thing. So it can be done. Regardless of what some people might say, it definitely can be done. And there are people out there who want to make it happen. So that's exactly. the plan I'm working on here. Yeah. NASCAR yeah. was a part. NASCAR was a partner of ours in this program. They passed out something like 64 million 
pamphlets, prevention pamphlets at their races every year. Okay. And, and then Tony, oh, what was his name? One of our, one of the drivers, I was down at Daytona 500 and they painted his entire car project impact. And he was, he was standing there signing autographs, you know, and everything. And they're just a great bunch of people. And no, it wasn't Tony Stewart. It's, uh, but anyway, he got, he got killed in, uh, in a race in North Carolina, but it, they, they were fantastic partners. Okay. So let's see if we can't get them. Well, I'm going to do my best do everything I can to re-engage people on this because that's my mission is to get this information out to the, the parents of those children who are going yep. to be growing up. And someday, hopefully they will be the rocket scientists who are going to clean up the mess we left for them. That's my yep. mission. That's what I want to but work just, on. Uh, just Google project impact. You'll find a lot of information. I will. I definitely will. I'll look into that and see how I can make a difference. And I thank you so much for your information. It's been educational and entertaining which is sometimes doesn't always happen at the same time. And I'm so glad this was.